Time for this week's edition of the Source Weekly Update. Hot off the press and into your ear. Every week, found wherever you get audio. Time now to check out some of the highlights from this week's Source Weekly, Volume 24, Issue 5, dated January 30th. It's the big question. Will Repubs walk again? Cap and trade, homelessness and the housing crisis, vape bans, and other things Oregonians can expect to see addressed during the short legislative session. By Nicole Vulcan. Homelessness and housing, vaporizer bans, gun storage, cap and invest. If you thought the even-year short sessions in the Oregon Legislative Assembly were all about budget fixes and making small tweaks, think again. Ahead of the short legislative session that starts February 3rd, Oregon lawmakers are taking on what appears to be a full plate of new business, as well as bringing forth new versions of bills that didn't materialize in previous sessions. Perhaps the biggest piece of old business left over from the 2019 session is a renewed effort to pass a cap-and-invest bill in 2020. HB 2020 was Oregon Democrats' 2019 effort to mandate increasingly deep cuts in greenhouse gas emissions in the state, a contentious topic that prompted Oregon Senate Republicans to flee the state capitol, depriving Democrats of a needed Senate quorum to vote on the bill. That was the second time Republican lawmakers absconded last year. The first was in opposition to the commercial activity tax baked into the Student Success Act. That bill passed in the 11th hour of the 2019 session. Similar to last year's bill, this year's version would set a cap for greenhouse gas emissions in the state and would force big polluters to obtain credits for each ton of greenhouse gas they produce. The sale of credits would bring in money aimed at investing in climate resilience and a decarbonized transportation system. Over time, the state would lower the emissions cap, making the standards tighter over time. The goal is to lower emissions to at least 45 percent below 1990 emission levels by 2035 and to at least 80 percent below 1990 levels by 2050. One criticism of the 2019 bill was how it might have disproportionately affected rural communities. This time around, Democrats have proposed splitting the state into three geographical areas. Under this version, the Portland area would begin seeing more regulation including increases in fuel prices, starting in 2022. Cities such as Bend and Eugene, and others selling more than 10 million gallons of fuel per year, would see changes starting in 2025. Among the most rural counties of the state, 19 counties would need to sign onto the program before they would see more regulation and increased fuel prices, though if they don't participate, they'd only be able to access a small portion of the funds received through the program. Another concession? Reserving some of the money from the sale of credits for a fund for wildfire mitigation. But another part of the plan that hasn't been as popular is the plan to make parts of the cap and invest scheme exempt from public records law. HB 4159 reads, It is the policy of this state that the market-based compliance mechanism of the Oregon Climate Action Program operate free of abuse and disruptive activity. It is therefore the intent of the Legislative Assembly that the provisions of this section and sections 5, 3, 27, 29, 30, and 31 of this 2020 Act be implemented in a manner necessary to prevent fraud, abuse, or market manipulation, 
and that certain rules shall be treated as confidential business information. That raises the hackles of people, including journalists, who want to see how public funds are being brokered. I have concerns about public records requests, then Representative Sherry Helt said in reference to the bill. I want to make sure this bill is transparent. I think the people who are spending money should be accountable in the same way that I am accountable to the voters. Ben Senator Tim Canope agreed, saying the government has proved over and over again that they are worthy of scrutiny by the public. So it concerns me that we would have a bill that deals with what they admit is hundreds of millions of dollars where there may not be the kind of public access or scrutiny or access or transparency that needs to be there. It feels like it takes us backwards from where we were at least in regard to that. Ben's lawmakers, at least for the time being, are taking the wait-and-see approach to Democrats' 2020 cap-and-invest bills. And to the big question of whether Republicans will walk again over greenhouse gas caps, that's also a wait-and-see. I think generally it should be a last resort, Canope said. I think it was effective in drawing attention to the bill and drawing the attention of the public to that bill. Because I think it was just sliding through and people had no idea what was going on. And so it brought a lot of attention to it. You could see that in the polling where people were much more aware of the bill during and after the walkouts than they were before. And finally, from our news section, it's caucus season in Iowa. Take it from one Iowan and former caucuser, this part of the presidential race is pretty cool. By Isaac Beale. It was early 2016. I was living in Ames, Iowa during my last semester as a journalism major at Iowa State University. And the wildest presidential race, I hope, of my lifetime was unfolding before my eyes. People on campus, as well as the rest of the state, were bitterly divided. Everyone appeared to be on edge any time the topic of the next president came up in conversation. The Hawkeye State is a very strange place to be during an election cycle. As a swing state and the first to make its call for who it supports as presidential nominees, presidential candidates will roam through Iowa for what seems like weeks at a time. Even a town of 6,000, like the one I'm from, might find Barack Obama speaking at a local park or visiting your high school. Yes, these things really happened. Generally, I'm not very political. I don't necessarily enjoy discussing candidates with other people or talking about government. For me, it feels divisive. But I am a very big believer in choosing right from wrong, which is the reason I vote. It's also the reason why, in 2016, as a proud Iowan, I chose to caucus for the first time. What happens at an Iowa caucus? Other than being one of the craziest events to occur every four years, it's also a form of debate, public forum, and a really neat part of the election process. You can look at it as a very different take on the process of choosing presidential nominees via primary like Oregon does. This year, the Iowa Democratic and Republican caucuses both take place on February 3rd. Caucuses are held in public locations or precincts, schools, churches, libraries, etc. The location you go to is decided by your place of residence, so there's a good chance you'll see some familiar faces at your location. For the first time ever, Iowa will be offering the opportunity for people to attend one of 96 different satellite caucuses this year. Inside a Democratic caucus, people form groups based on the candidate they want to vote for, and those who are undecided can become a group as well. Once in groups, everyone is counted. You must be a viable group to be considered to win the delegates. Viable meaning at least 15% of the count, sometimes more in smaller precincts. 
In a Republican caucus, people instead cast ballots or even conduct a show of hands in less populous areas, making for a simpler and quicker process. If your first choice for a candidate wasn't viable, then you may switch to join a viable group, or people can try to persuade others from non-viable groups to join theirs instead. If you go with the latter approach as an already non-viable group, you're risking the chance of not having enough numbers to become viable for the final count, thus forfeiting your chance to send delegates elsewhere. It's this part of the Iowa caucuses that is truly fun. You're basically guaranteed to have someone giving their all for a candidate who doesn't really have a shot, which is totally fine, or someone angrily spewing about the numbers of a rival candidate. In 2016, my friend Jake and I caucused for Bernie Sanders, and with it being a college town, so were plenty of other students. We had the largest group by far at our caucus location, but I didn't stop a lady from standing on the cafeteria table and pleading for her candidate, whose name I cannot remember, or a different woman from the Hillary Clinton group yelling at us for electing Trump. At an Iowa caucus, you never really know what you're going to get, and emotions are often on full display. One thing I'll truly take away from the experience is the pure excitement when someone from a non-viable group joined our side. A strange form of camaraderie developed with people I had previously never met. But that's the kind of thing that happens when you're attending a passionate event. It's sort of like a concert just with way more politics involved. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Source Weekly Podcast. Be sure to pick up your free copy of the Source Weekly wherever you find yourself in Central Oregon or log on to our website, bensource.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Scholl.